want to welcome you if you're worshiping with us today. Uh, my name's Kurt Henry. I'm one of the pastors here. And maybe I already said that a second ago. I, I don't even know anymore. But uh, we are in the middle of a series on the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're coming toward the end of the series and the book. And it makes me really sad because uh, that means that we're coming to the end of the summer. I mean, yesterday felt like late October, I know, but, but summer is going to come back. But, uh, um, but I've loved just walking through this book together and hearing about who these Corinthians were and then what does this mean for us and how do we let God's word, you know, get into our hearts and, and change who we are. That's really a big part of what we do when we gather here. Uh, so as I've learned about this book, a few things really stood out, and I was reading about the cultural background in one of the commentaries, and uh, it says, it, it, I learned that, that the culture that this book was written in was marked by Greek ideals of individually, individuality, equality, freedom, and distrust of authority. You don't know any places that are like that, do you? Uh, the second thing that this culture was marked by was a reluctance of many in the church to break from the social conventions of the community. They liked doing the things that the rest of the community did, whether they were things that were good for them or not. They, they liked uh, you know, going along with what the rest of the world was doing, and that that's something I see in our world a little bit. Number three that I learned about this book, there was an arrogance in their culture, an overemphasizing of the comfort of the gospel. They liked talking about uh, their salvation and their deliverance from, from sin and, and, their, and their life in heaven, but they, they didn't really, they underemphasized the challenge of the gospel to share the good news with the rest of the world. Another thing that culture was marked by was being of the world and yet coming to worship on a regular basis and eating at the Lord's table and doing all the things religiously that they did. And so they, they struggled putting those two things together. And then the last thing that I read about in, in the, one, the one book that I was reading, they, the culture was marked by asserting my rights and my needs and not thinking of the needs of others. And I want to ask today, is that our culture? And I guess the bigger question that, that we need to ask personally today is, is that me? Is that me? I was talking with someone before the service, and I had, I had, I had asked one of, our, one of our staff people to, to go do something to serve another person. And that person joked with me. He said, you know, when someone asks me to do something, he says, I like to just say no. And at first I was sort of taken back, like, why would you, why would you do that? And then he said, you know, just, just to, you know, I, I, then I'll go do that thing, but I just, just to get a reaction. But I wonder sometimes, because I, I do know that there are some people who would, they would prefer to just say no uh, to serving another. They, they, they might even look the other way or, or try to find ways to get out of helping someone else. And, and so this morning, I just want us to let this passage dig into our lives. Let these words pierce your soul. Let these words speak to your heart today. 
And so as we do that, let's, let's go before God in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a simple story from the book of 1 Corinthians about a situation that was going on in the church. And Lord, it's not exactly like our church, but Lord, I pray that as we read these words from an ancient book, that we realize that you want to change us. You want us to think about how we can be more like you. And so may your words in this book, may my words that you have given to me, may they challenge us to be your people. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So this is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. Paul says to these people, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. That's a fun way to start, isn't it? I can't wait to read what's next. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. You know, we're all different. And, and there are some things that people in the church do that, that, are, that cause division, and, and we should be divided because those are things that are not acceptable in God's sight. No doubt there have to be differences. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each one of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper... He took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Those are serious things that we're about. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, wait for each other. If any was hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Some, some tough words in there. One is the first question, do our meetings do more harm than good? Do we come for our own needs and do we neglect the needs of others? 
I've heard people say, you know, I didn't like worship because I didn't like that song or, or, or the drums, not in here. Troy would never play the drums too loud. But in uh, some of our other services, I don't see where Troy went. But uh, in some of our other services, oh, there he is right there, looking better than me again, always, man. But, you know, at some of our services, you know, someone will say, oh, the drums were too loud. And that was, that just, I couldn't worship. You know, that's, a, that's an indication that I'm coming for me and that I'm not coming to give praise to the Lord. How do we know if we're coming for the right reasons? And I want to challenge you today. Don't just answer quickly. Ask yourself, why am I here today? Am I bowing down before God? Am I laying down my life in worship? Am I prepared to let God change my heart today? When I first read this passage, one verse just jumped out at me. And as I kept reading it over and over again, that be, it, it's like this, this is the focus. Verse 31 says this, but if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. And we don't want to come under judgment. The word there, it really is about God's final judgment, the judgment between heaven and hell. God is the one who holds that judgment in his hands. And he says, if we judge ourselves, we won't come under the judgment. Now, what, what does that mean? We don't get to decide for whether we, whether we go to heaven or hell, but we do get to look at our lives. And if we look at our lives through the lens of the Holy Spirit, God can point out things in us that we need to change. This congregation was experiencing weakness, sickness, and death. And part of what Paul says here is disobedience to God's word has consequences. And sometimes those consequences are that we don't do well. Physically, sometimes the actions that we go about doing have negative consequences for our lives. And he, he wants to tell them, be careful how you act because these issues are caused by your sin. And so it says in a number of places, let a person examine himself. So what does that look like? We gather together as God's people. We come together in worship today, and we are his body. Paul says when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. You're coming together, and each one of you is going ahead and doing your own thing. So when we come together, how are we coming together as the body of Christ? Specifically in this culture, the rich came as I learned more about this, that church, there were rich and poor. And the rich didn't have to work. They were the patrons. They, they liked having, every, they, they did stuff for the church, but then they sort of wanted everybody else to do stuff for them because of that. And so they would come and they would bring a feast, but then they would sit down together and eat that feast. And the, the folks that were working they, they hadn't come together yet. They, they would have what they would call a love feast together. They would bring this feast, they would eat together, and part of that feast would be the Lord's Supper. But there were those among them that were going ahead 
and feasting and not thinking of the others. They said, I'm here for me, and I'm here to get what I can get. They also said, they, they felt like they were right with God, that they had done all that they needed to do for their salvation. There were still parts of Judaism that were in that church. And Judaism, like every other religion in the world except Christianity, there's a, there's a, there's a part of it that is you need to earn your salvation. You need to do enough right things in order to, to be right with the God that you serve. Jude, I read this this week. Judaism leaves a man with the hope that he can counterbalance his sins by merits so that he does not have to admit his utter sin and guilt before God and is not wholly cast back upon God's grace. Do we ever come here and, and, and kind of balance our merits with our, with our shortcomings and say, you know, compared with my neighbor or, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I've always figured, you know, I'm, I'm decently moral, right? I, I'm a pastor. I, I, I try to do the things God has called me to do. But no, I need to recognize when I come into God's house, what communion has us do is reminds us I'm hopelessly guilty. I need Jesus and Jesus alone. I need grace. That's how I have to come together. Another commentary said this, the Pharisee found it hard to achieve certainty in the matter of his salvation. He tended to go between being arrogantly confident in his own good works, which blinded him to his sinfulness, but then he would also then have a, a, a terrible fear of God's wrath. Again, if we're, if, we're, if we're going with our own sin or our, our own merits, there are times when we might think, I'm doing well, and that's going to result in God's blessing. But then there will be other times where we'd say, oh, because I've sinned, you know, God doesn't love me. He can't possibly love me. So we have to examine ourselves in light of God's grace, always remembering that God has given us that grace freely. Church discipline has to be a big part of what we do. There were three marks of the church, the pure preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, and church discipline. And so this morning, we have to think about self-discipline, looking at ourselves and, and helping one another. Matthew Henry said in his commentary, to be exact and severe on ourselves and our own conduct is the most proper way in the world not to fall under the just severity of our Heavenly Father. We must not judge others lest we be judged, but we must judge ourselves to prevent our being judged and condemned by God. And so we come together, and one of the things that we have to do as God's people is bow down before him and ask him, as the psalmist does in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. We have to ask Jesus to help us discern. And we have to do that every day. 
Every time there's a conflict in our life, every time we see something that's not going well, it's, it's good for us to say, what's really happening here? I want to give you just a couple of personal examples. God has really been continuing to show me, and I think it's important that, that I'm always honest about, I keep falling, but I keep getting back up again, and God keeps loving me. We were playing pickleball as a family the other day. And you may know this, I've, I've been accused of being really competitive in my life, just a little bit. I, I like winning, and I like doing things the right way and following the rules. But I've been working on it. God has been working with me. So we're playing pickleball, and we're having a good time. And then it was my wife and one son and on one team, and me and another son on the other team. And the son on my team, he hit a nice shot, cross court. I happened to be standing pretty close to the line. It landed right on the line. And son number two said, out. Now, the way we play the rules is the team on that side, they get to call their lines. And so it was his call. I let him make that call. I didn't say a word, but my eyes, <laughs> it's amazing what we can, what we can communicate. I'm, I, 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 I can even, maybe I can still feel it. I knew that I rolled my eyes to let him know that I disagreed strongly with his call. My words said it was your call. My eyes said your call was wrong. So he tried to give us the point. Now, he didn't do it graciously necessarily because he thought it was in, but he said, fine, your point. And at that point, no, we're going to do things the right way. And so we began arguing about, and I, when I went home, I was pretty sure that it was because he had lost his cool and he had been immature. And then... As I let that scenario play over in my mind, the Holy Spirit said, no, no, that was you. I looked inside, and now he's running sound over there. I, gotta, I, I, I realize even today, I, I still haven't really said, I'm really sorry, that was all my fault. And that's what the Spirit Continue. When you confess your sins in front of a bunch of people, the Spirit still says, hey, you, gotta, you haven't finished that job yet. You have to take care of that. But I can justify myself, but under self-examination with the voice of the Holy Spirit, I come to the truth. And it reminds me I'm not yet the person God wants me to be. This last Monday, I was at a gathering of brothers in the Lord, and we were having a theological conversation. But then it turned into a theological argument. And they were attacking my position, which I'm sure is correct. They were inferring that my position was inferior. It's one of those theological things that really both positions can be held. They kind of have to be held in tension. To use my kid's word, they threw shade on my argument. And I started to feel really defensive. And at one point, I actually told them that it felt like they were throwing shade on my argument. When I went home, and almost all of the next day, I was thinking... They owed me an apology. 
Because I could justify myself. I hadn't really said anything wrong. Later on that day, I was talking with my neighbor who shares the same theological side of the argument as I do. And we were talking about it. And then he said, you know, I think the problem is we haven't articulated our argument as well as we should. And we haven't lived out our side of that argument in such a way that shows the, the joy of living out this, this theological thing in that way. Through a friend, I just all of a sudden I realized it was me. I, I was arguing, trying to decide who was right. Instead of being with a group of brothers and sisters saying, God, we want to serve you and we want to follow you. My heart desires to be right. And it desires to have other people respect me or give me gratitude or show me love. So when we gather as believers, as you walk through your life, do you allow God to speak to you in that way? When you live out your life, what does the world see in you? Do my kids see love in me or do they see my desire to always be right? Do my friends see love in me or do they see my desire to win an argument? And do the people that I come in contact with, the non-believers that I come in contact with in the world, do they see God's love in me or do they see a person who thinks they're right and they're wrong? When I'm at my best, I, un- I offer the unconditional love of God to those I interact with. I offer respect. I show gratitude. I share love. And I know there are lots of times in my life that I do that. But I also know that there are lots of times in my life when at my worst, I live in my strength. I go my way. And I think I deserve something from them. So we need, to, we need to have different eyes in our life. Now, some would say, don't be so hard on yourself. I think Paul says it's important that you're appropriately hard on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. None of us is going to live out our faith perfectly. But we also have to be honest with ourselves. We have to look in and see where is it that I'm not living up, not, not in order to balance the scales so that I can feel like I'm saved. God has taken care of that already by his grace. But out of gratitude for what Christ has done for me, look at your life. Michael Green is a theologian who, who when he looks at this passage, he summarizes six things that are going on with communion. And I want to just share those with you to end as we're discerning what's going on in communion, but also in our communion. He says, when we come together first as believers, we need to look back. We need to remember what Jesus did and why he had to do it. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus came while we were yet sinners. He died for us. And he offers life to us. And in Romans 
Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's nothing in there about balancing the scales of right and wrong and good things and bad things. It's if you confess, if you believe, you will be saved. So look back and remember who God is. Remember what he did for you. The second thing we need to do, we've been talking about it. Look inside. Examine yourselves and discern. Are you showing God's love? The third thing we need to do is look up. Part of our mission statement as a church, look up and see what God is doing. Who is God? As we sing songs of praise later, the words that point out who God is, remember, he is a holy God who demands righteousness. He's also the holy God who loves you without condition. Remember who he is. As the people of God, when we come together, we also need to look around. Part of what was going on in this church was they had stopped understanding that they were one body. Pastor Chris is preaching at the other services this morning, and he's focusing on chapter 12. So stick around, hear another sermon uh, about how we can be the body. But part of, part of what looking around I would encourage you right now, look around. Just look around right now. As I look around, I see different folks knowing the struggles that they're dealing with. And I know many of you look around and do the same. And you send cards. And you make calls. And you make visits. But when you come together and you spend time together, we got cookies this morning. Hang around for a little bit. And yeah, it's good to be in your group that you normally talk with, but look around and notice and see if there's somebody who you know is going through a struggle. Go encourage them. Look around and see if there's someone who you don't know that seems to be kind of by themselves. Go and share your love with them. Share some encouragement with them. Look around and notice and and wonder How can we be the body of Christ together? How can we encourage one another? Look around. This verse in 1 Corinthians says, God has combined the members of the body. He's given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. We also need to look forward. One of the things we can do when we're discouraged, when things don't seem to be going our way, is look forward. Christ is coming. He will return. He will bring us all to be together with him in glory. He is building his kingdom here on earth. And he's moving in that direction. We have hope. So no matter what today holds, no matter how gloomy it may feel or be, know that we have hope. And then as you leave this place, look out. Look out at a world that desperately needs the love of Jesus. 
How can you look in and then live out the way that God, the joy that God has given you in your salvation? The only way the world will see the love of Jesus is through us. They will see it in how we treat each other and we, they will see it in how we treat them. So examine yourself today. Look inside. Let God's voice remind you. The only way we can do that, there was a quote that I read earlier, the forgiveness by which Jesus lifts people out of judgment and from the fear of judgment may be enjoyed only in personal fellowship with him. It's not an actual possession, hence there must be prayer for it every day. What kind of habits do we need to have in our lives so that God can speak to us daily and remind us who we are and whose we are? Don't be too hard on yourself, but be honest with yourself and let God examine your life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that we can come together as your people. Lord, I thank you for this group of people. As I look out, I see so many saints, not sinners, but saints, people that know and understand the love you have for them. Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit into their lives so that they would see the areas where maybe they've got a blind spot, where maybe they need a little correction, maybe a little adjustment of their attitude or their, or their actions. But Lord, most of all, I pray that you would remind them today as we come together of your love for them and of your love for a world that desperately needs it. Send us out to be your people, we pray.